Um, I'm sure we'll have some, uh, some parents making their way back in, but let's make a start. We want to uh, just open up the word now and then have plenty of time to worship and to respond together and to see what the Lord wants to do. Um, so we're going to continue um, our little Holy Spirit mini-series. To call it a mini-series is not to say it's diversionary in any way. It's absolutely foundational uh, that we teach on and continue to lay the foundation of what it means to be a spirit-filled people in a spirit-filled life together as a spirit-filled church, um, seeking to walk in, walk by the Spirit to fulfill the kingdom call of Jesus on us as disciples living by the Spirit. Um, there's no way we're going to do those things apart from the, the Spirit, and so we try to make room uh, deliberately each year just to, to do some simple recap teaching on who the Holy Spirit is, what he does. Uh, began that a couple of weeks ago. As Chris said earlier, we're meeting next Sunday evening deliberately just to create, I guess, what we call an encounter-type evening. Um, so if anything uh, that we look at this morning creates a thirst and a hunger in you and an appetite for more of God, I trust that it does. Not only can we pray and worship and respond together this morning, uh, but also next Sunday evening we'll deliberately uh, just be making room from 7.30 uh, to, to pray uh, if you come next Sunday evening from 7.30, then you're coming because you're thirsty, you're coming because you're hungry, you're coming because you want someone to pray for you, or you're ready to pray for someone uh, that you're expecting to be filled with or filled again with the Holy Spirit. We've got a, a team from uh, King's Church Mid-Sussex, uh, down in Burgess Hill, coming to help us, uh, bringing their prophetic team as well, which will be wonderful, um, so that we can come to receive and to worship and to respond to God together. So uh, that's what we're building towards, but of course this morning uh, it's important that we uh, don't just leave ourselves hanging, waiting for next week, but that we respond to God right now. So Father, we, we welcome your presence now by your spirit, Lord. Would you, even as we work through these simple scriptures, would you just bring a awaken a fresh gift of faith in us to receive from you in the ways that you've promised. God, we're so grateful to you. Thank you as we pray for Matt and Donna just now. We can, we recognize together the gospel works. We love it, Lord. We love the transformation you bring to lives, to families, to futures, to hopes, to the way that we work, to the way that we live. Lord, the gospel transforms everything, Lord, and, and uh, as your spirit comes upon us and causes us to be born again and then to live differently by your power. We thank you that we see evidence all around us of your fruit in our lives in that way. We just bless what we've seen now in Donna and Matt and their family. We thank you that that is going to be outworked in the months and years to come. But we pray right now, God, you just stir fresh faith in our hearts that we too might receive something very real from this finished work of the gospel as we call on you this morning. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. So... Um, uh, I think we'll look this morning at uh, having, uh, cultivating an, an expectation of baptism in the Spirit. Um, in Luke chapter 3, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, John the Baptist uh, uh, said to his disciples, um, his followers, I baptise you with water, John, uh, Luke 3.16, but one more powerful than I will come. Uh, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Um, John, very soon after that, had the incredible privilege of baptising Jesus himself and he uh, confirmed those kinds of words again. 
when we get to the end of Jesus' ministry, and this is where we'll pick things up this morning uh, in the book of Acts, we find Jesus reminding his disciples of the, of the kind of uh, teaching that John the Baptist had been signposting. Hey, there's, there's some baptism in water going on. There's some repentance going on. There's some believing in the Messiah who's to come that will be going on. But there's a greater baptism too that's coming, one with fire. Um, and Jesus reminds his disciples, Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't know how they felt when they heard those words in just a few days. Um, they must have been excited. I think probably reading back, understanding as we do now with the gift of hindsight, the benefit of hindsight, they didn't really understand what he was saying at that point until the Spirit had come upon them. But something significant is about to happen in just a few days and it's something that will fulfill the things that John and all the prophets before had said. There's a greater outpouring of the Spirit that is to come. At Pentecost, the, festival, the Jewish festival, just a few days later, uh, where we now look back and say, wow, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Jesus fulfilled the promise that he made to his disciples. And so just for a few minutes this morning, before we respond together, we want to ask the question, what is this baptism in the Spirit that we're talking about, that the Scriptures teach us about? The word baptism uh, is used the same for baptism in the Spirit as it is for baptism in water, uh, it's, an inter it's the same word. It means to, to dip or to immerse. Someone said, did my shirt not get dyed properly this morning? If you could, it, it's the same word used for, for baptism if you were dyeing a piece of fabric and you'd hold it down in the, in the dye until the fabric was completely soaked in the new colour and you'd pull it out and hopefully it would be consistent unless you hang it on the line and all the colour runs to the bottom. I don't know if that's... I think this is design, Richard, by the way, just in case you weren't sure. Um, but, but that's what it means to be baptised, to be held down, to be immersed, completely uh, immersed in. So John the Baptist and Jesus are teaching that we can expect to be immersed, to be completely overwhelmed uh, and soaked through with the beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I, my prayer this morning is that, that we would just, even as we're hearing these things, and faith comes through hearing, that we would be in a growing sense of not just understanding a process of how I can be baptised in the Holy Spirit, but in, in faith before God for more of his lovely presence to soak us and for us to be immersed in. So let's have a little look at what happens to disciples who get baptised in the Spirit. We'll go on a little uh, journey through Acts I think even as I start that, it's just worth saying, whatever kind of background you've been brought up in, whatever church tradition you've been brought up in, or whether as many of you are, you're a new believer or a fairly new believer, we can have all kinds of ideas and formulas about how this kind of stuff works. I think, if I can do a plot spoiler here, can I just tell you, I don't think there's much of a formula. John 3.8, I think, is a key verse for us. There's a man called Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night. He's afraid of the Jews, but he wants to ask Jesus some big heart questions. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you must be born again by the Spirit. Nicodemus is beginning to respond to this, I believe, and we see the fruit of that later on in the story. But there's a key verse in John 3.8, in speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says that uh, the Holy Spirit is like the, the wind. No one knows where he comes from and no one knows where he goes. And I think as we look at, at how baptism in the Spirit, the process, the package, if you like, uh, works out, I think we should just bear in mind the words of Jesus to Nicodemus, that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. No one knows where he comes from and no one knows where he's going. 
So Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 4, Jesus has said in just a few days, and here we are now, just a few days later, as I'd mentioned, the day of Pentecost, uh, it's a big Jewish festival, crowds in the city of Jerusalem, these disciples are waiting together, as Jesus had told them, wait in the city until you receive power from on high, they're being obedient, they're also a little bit afraid, they're locked in the upper room, they're praying, they're waiting, uh, but Jesus loves obedience, he still loves obedience, that's a, a good lesson for us to learn. Suddenly as they're praying, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, so dynamically um, and so physically that they say that it looks like there were even uh, tongues of fire licking off them. I mean, I, I cannot begin to imagine what this must have been like to see and to experience. Immediately they spill out of this room that until now they've been locked in. They spill out onto the streets. Um, it, it's worth noting that the immediate next step of being filled with the Holy Spirit for these disciples is mission. Have you got that? Um, not just so that I can uh, enjoy um, a greater sense of the Lord's presence in worship, and that's wonderful and true, but the first impact from the Holy Spirit falling on these disciples who are waiting is, is a missionary explosion. They come out onto the streets. Of course, there are thousands in the city already from all kinds of language backgrounds. They hear these Spirit-baptized disciples praising God in languages that they haven't learned because the Holy Spirit's given them a new language of praise in that moment. And so a crowd gathers and upsteps Peter and begins to preach the gospel with a boldness and a courage that he didn't know he had in him. In fact, he didn't have it in him. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to proclaim very clearly uh, the truths about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. So that's the first example uh, from the point where Jesus ascended into heaven and, and gave his promised Holy Spirit. Here's the first outworking of it. The Holy Spirit falls upon these first disciples who are waiting. You don't have to wait long for the second outpouring of the Spirit. It comes at the very uh, end point of this story, that the crowd who are listening to Peter uh, are overcome and cut to the heart. And, and they sh they're shouting out, what must we do to be saved? That's a response any preacher wants to hear. And it's only a response that comes from the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. If you're looking for, is there evidence? Are there signs the Holy Spirit's at work? Well, here's a sign. There are people who don't yet believe in Jesus Christ who are now saying, what do I do to get right with Jesus? That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so uh, many respond. And Peter says to them in, in Acts 2, 38, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So as a turning away, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, let me explain it to you briefly. It's a turning away from your old life, from your independence, or from any other faith that you've had adherence to, and saying fully and completely, I entrust myself now to the lordship, the leadership of Jesus Christ. That repentance is then evidenced by baptism in water for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm sharing in the death of Jesus. I'm coming up into the resurrection of Jesus. That's what baptism is. And then he says, note this in Acts 2.38, not only repent and be baptised in water for the forgiveness of your sins, but you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. So there, right away, for these brand new disciples who are repenting and coming to faith in Christ, uh, immediately there's a promise. Not only are you to repent, not only are you going to get baptised in water, but there is a promise that you will receive the Holy Spirit. Um, verse 41, it seems that they responded to that. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
I think it's fair to assume from the, uh, what's implied in those verses and the context that we've read uh, that the 3,000 who were baptised were baptised in water and baptised in the Holy Spirit. They received the full package that Peter was talking about. It's an incredible moment. And we get a sense here of this kind of almost simultaneous work of the Holy Spirit in, in uh, bringing people to salvation, baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Are you with me so far? I'm going fast, I'm going to rattle through these this morning, A, because I'm excited, but B, because we want to get to a place of faith for ourselves. Turn to Acts chapter 8, if you've got um, your Bibles. Uh, Again now, the disciples, and Jesus had told them, you're going to go out from Jerusalem. They got a little bit stuck in Jerusalem, uh, and so some persecution comes. Uh, Stephen, uh, who's one of the deacons in the first church in Jerusalem, is stoned to death. There's persecution that comes upon the church. They scatter. Some of them go across the borders to the next region, to the Samaritan uh, region. Uh, Jesus had been there already, and I I think there was already a a readiness to respond to the gospel. Uh, People like the woman at the well that Jesus met, who told our whole village, come and meet the man who's told me everything I've ever done. Jesus stayed with them for a few days. I think there was a revival in that village at the time when Jesus was still around. And and now, as the disciples come back into Samaria, I think there was a ready, receptive heart in many people to respond to the truths about Jesus. We find Philip, uh, who gets called Philip the Evangelist. I think that's a pretty good title for him because he's a very gifted evangelist. He goes down into Samaria. He preaches the word, uh, proclaims the Christ there. Verse 6 of uh, chapter 8, when the crowd heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, many paralytics and cripples were healed and there was great joy in that city. A little later on we read that some of those who are following uh, uh, Philip around who've uh, been working in in occult, uh, uh, using occult powers are so amazed they come to Christ that they get baptised as well. It's an extraordinary uh, moment of revival going on in Samaria. Um, But then in verse 15 we find that the the apostolic team uh, send some delegates from Jerusalem. They're so thrilled to hear what's going on. Uh, Peter and John come down. And when they arrive in Acts 8.15, they prayed for these new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They'd simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So in Samaria, we've clearly got people who've been born again. They've come to faith in Jesus. Philip has baptised them. But it seems in this instance, they haven't immediately received the Holy Spirit as they did in Acts chapter 2, and so a little later on, the apostles come to town, they lay hands on people, they evidently receive the Holy Spirit. Um, Commentators on these passages differ in their views as to how long these new Samaritan disciples had to wait to receive the Holy Spirit. Some say it was just a matter of a week or two. Some say it may have been a few months. But evidently there's something slightly different that's happened here from the group in Jerusalem uh, who heard the gospel on the day of Pentecost. If you flick over to Acts chapter 9, you find Saul, uh, who we know perhaps more famously as the, later as the Apostle Paul. He's been persecuting Christians. Uh, he was one of those responsible for the death 
of Stephen uh, back in Acts chapter 7. If you don't know these stories that I'm referring to, f- f- please forgive me, but I, let me encourage you. If you want a Sunday afternoon on a shady sun lounger with a thriller to read, read through the first few chapters of Acts. It will do your heart good and you can catch up on what we're looking at this morning. Cool, cool drink and a sun lounger and Acts. That sounds like a perfect afternoon, doesn't it? Yeah? Okay, I thought so. Um, in Acts chapter 9, Paul, Saul is converted comes to faith in Jesus Christ on the Damascus road. He's going to Damascus to round up believers there and to imprison them. Um, Jesus appears to him. That's wonderful. That's what we're, we're, we're praying about here last Sunday. We're praying across the Islamic world and here from people amongst all kinds of other faith groups in Crawley and in the UK. We're praying, Jesus, would you appear in dreams and visions? Would you show yourself to men and women who don't believe who you, that you are who you say you are? Jesus appears to Paul. He falls down. He's blinded by the brilliance and the beauty of meeting with Jesus. I believe that Paul was, was born again in that moment, actually. He goes obediently. Uh, Jesus tells him to go to Damascus and to wait um, in a certain place. Uh, and we find uh, later on in Acts chapter 9 that, that uh, Saul is waiting and praying. Uh, again, that will be evidence that not only has something dramatic happened, but that he has been born again. At the same time, the Holy Spirit is speaking to a believer called Ananias, who lives in Damascus, and he says, I want you to go to a house on Straight Street. I guess this is what we call a word of knowledge. Uh, the Holy Spirit is telling Ananias, there's a guy I want you to go and pray for and, uh, and, and minister to. Ananias says, I know that guy. I've heard about his reputation. He's coming around up Christians. Do you want me to go to him? And the Holy Spirit says, no, you go. Uh, I've got a purpose for this man uh, that will take the gospel out beyond the Jews and into the Gentile world. Ananias is very courageous. Again, courage is one of, the, uh, one of the, the, uh, the marks of the Holy Spirit being on believers. He goes to see Saul um, and he, um, uh, verse 17, uh, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, uh, even calling him brother is a wonderful thing. It means we're in relationship, we're together now in Christ. This was a man who came to arrest, imprison, even kill people like Ananias Ananias, with a confidence in the Holy Spirit, goes to such a man, who I guess now we would call a a kind of fundamentalist terrorist of some sort. Ananias goes to him and says, Brother, we could preach a sermon on that word alone, can we? What a wonderful... uh, The gospel works. It's amazing. It transforms lives and relationships. Placing his hands on him, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, he was baptised, and after taking food, he regained his strength. So uh, there are many things that could divert us in this story. Uh, I believe Saul was converted, born again, on the Damascus Road. Three days later, Ananias comes to him, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's healed of his blindness. And then he's baptised, in water. Um, Day of Pentecost, repent, believe, be baptised in water, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, Samaria in Acts 8, uh, repent, believe, uh, baptised in water. A little later on, be baptised in the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, um, repent and believe, baptised in the Holy Spirit, then get baptised in water. Let's go on. Let's do one more. Acts uh, chapter 10. Maybe two more. Um, are you still following me? Okay, good. He's excited as I am. Lord, please, would you just stir faith 
in our hearts. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius um, is uh, from a Greek background, uh, and so is his household. Peter, as a Jew, should not have gone there. All the old regulations, again, that are overturned in this new age of the Spirit, would say to Peter, do not go there. It took a vision, a trance, uh, for Peter to decide that the Lord was giving him permission to go to Cornelius' home. And, And remarkably, as Peter is preaching about Jesus Christ, as he's lifting up Jesus, the Holy Spirit falls upon these Gentiles, these non-Jews who are listening to the message about Jesus. Again, maybe there's a little key, a little aside for us to learn. Friends, you may not feel very bold, very confident, very gifted, but all we're called to do is lift up the name of Jesus. I think we should speak about Jesus. We should name Jesus a little more. I used to find it easy on a Monday uh, going back into work when I, uh, when I wasn't working for the church to say I went to church or, or even to talk about God in general, but to talk about Jesus. I think Joe and I, we were chatting about this last weekend, weren't we? To actually talk about the name of Jesus. Something happens. Um, Jesus loves to make himself known. So when the Son of Man is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. And so as Peter at Cornelius' house, he's not just teaching in general terms about God or, or saying how good it is to be in the new church in Jerusalem. He's teaching about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And as he does so, the Holy Spirit falls upon these believers. How does he know the Holy Spirit's falling upon them? Well, he and the team that are with him observe, hey, these non-Jews, they're beginning to praise God in in this gift of languages, in the gift of tongues. And um, that's what happened to us. And now it's happening to them. I think probably at first they were quite indignant because they had uh, a lot of biases uh, in their their worldview. Um, and, And so the cry goes up, well, what's to stop these men being baptized in the same way that we were? And so they baptized them in water. In fact, verse 48, I think of Acts Acts chapter 10, uh, I love this as a pastor, Peter ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. That's good, isn't it? Uh, In in our churches in the 21st century, here in the UK, um, we kind of say, would you like to be baptised in water as an option to people? When you're ready, when you feel like it. Uh, Maybe if you're serious about being a Christian, you could think about being baptised. There's no sense of that in the first church. Peter orders, hey, you've received the Spirit. You've responded to Christ. You must be baptised. If there's any here this morning, please, I'm not picking on you, but the Scriptures command that if you're a follower of Christ, you get yourself baptised. Can I say, like my headmaster used to say to me, please see me afterwards. Um, We'd love to help you fulfil that order that is in the Scriptures. Um, So, uh, uh, again, uh, maybe just one more. Acts 19. um, We find Paul now, the Apostle Paul, uh, and he's on his way to Ephesus. The Gospel now really has spread out into the Greek-Roman world. And Paul takes the interior road. He goes on the B roads, um, avoiding the traffic, uh, through to Ephesus, great city. Um, And he found some disciples there and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Uh, I'm in verse 2 of uh, Acts 19. They answered, no, we've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. It's an incredible little passage. Um, I've often heard this passage taught um, to confirm the, the point that it's, it's normal for there to be a delay 
between people becoming followers of Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. I've heard it taught that Paul here is meeting disciples who've been disciples for quite some time, um, but they just haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. Uh, it's used as an argument for a kind of uh, uh, an expectation that we, it doesn't matter yet, it'll come at some point, this baptism of the Spirit. That's fine. My only problem with that is that, that, that these men are not yet Christ followers. It's, it's so evident from the passage. They tell Paul, because he asks questions, and it's good to ask questions, and they tell Paul, we've only heard about John's baptism. So if they've heard about what John the Baptist was teaching, John the Baptist who was teaching prior to Jesus, pointing a sign, making a way, preparing the way for the one who would come, that's a wonderful thing. These will have been uh, disciples of John who were getting their hearts ready, who were looking and praying and seeking for the Messiah, the one who was to come, but they didn't know about Jesus. Quite simply, you can't be a Christian unless you've met Christ. And that hadn't happened here. And so, as we see, when Paul begins to tell them about Jesus, uh, the one coming after John, that is Jesus, in verse uh, 4, on hearing this, they were baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I believe that Paul brings them to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus. Then they're baptised into water. Uh, Paul wouldn't have baptised them again if they were already Christ followers who'd been baptised. Uh, and then they received the Holy Spirit. So listen, we've just looked at four or five examples there on our whistle-stop tour through Acts. There are no formulas. I think we can say that the filling of the Holy Spirit is rightly linked very closely with the salvation moment. Um, but we have to say, honestly, the, the, the full awareness or outpouring of this evidence of the Spirit's presence is not always immediately obvious. We have to say that from Acts 8 with the Samaritans, whether you believe it was just a week or two or whether it was a few months. Uh, the Apostle Paul himself uh, if, if my thinking is right, waited at least three days between being born again and receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, but sometimes the Holy Spirit is so um, at, at work that people seem to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before they fully process what it means to repent and follow Jesus and get baptised in water, as in the, the, the new disciples at Cornelius' house when Peter preached to them. So what are we saying from these passages? Well... I think they give us an expectation, I hope you feel it too, that the Holy Spirit should be received at the time of conversion. Uh, we can't be born again without the Holy Spirit. We said that last time. Um, and, and so we often find in our kinds of churches, again, in this present age, there seems to be a gap between what the, the expectation of the Scriptures and our experience as 21st century people. I'm not sure why that is. Um, the New Testament, certainly, if you read through Acts in your garden this afternoon in the shade, the New Testament knows nothing about our kinds of churches, um, i.e. believers who follow Jesus for many years but don't get baptised in water and don't know whether or not they've received the Holy Spirit. There's just no, there's no thought of that in the New Testament churches. There's no thought that there might be a group within a church who are saved but haven't yet fully either come through to obedience in baptism or fully received the Spirit. Or even those who've been baptised in the Spirit but then say, that was great for me but now I'm going to go back to kind of how it was in Acts chapter 1 where we'll draw lots and make our own decisions and try and do things by our own wisdom. I had a great experience with God but I don't kind of need to keep walking in that now. There's no evidence of that kind of expectation at all in the New Testament. So I wonder whether there's something that we've perpetuated in our kind of modern churches um, that either has not fully proclaimed the gospel or has been defective in some way. Um, 
uh, or, or maybe it's a lack of obedience uh, in our part. Either way, I, I trust that as we move forward, and if we're going to be honest uh, in saying we want to be genuinely New Testament churches, that this is one area where we say, okay, our experience is one thing, but we are going to choose to bring it into line with what the Scriptures teach us. Um, it may be for some of us that we need to take that first step by getting ourselves baptised or by coming again, even though maybe you've been prayed for many times before to receive the Spirit and say, Lord, I, I believe you again that this promise is for me. We'll come to that in a moment. So I think the New Testament expectation is that, that there should be an early baptism in water near the time that you're born again, and then a, a filling with the Holy Spirit and an ongoing, consistent, regular refilling. Uh, we talked about that last time. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, Peter is filled again with the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter was baptised in the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. Isn't that enough? No, no. He's baptised again and again. In fact, twice in Acts chapter 4, you'll note, if you read it through carefully, Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not a bad day at the office. Uh, and he needed it because he was up before the, the, the Jewish religious police uh, giving evidence for why he was preaching uh, in the name of Jesus. And of course, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, uh, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we have this expectation uh, salvation, uh, repentance and faith, baptism in water, baptism in the Spirit, keep on being baptised in the Spirit. Can I just see a hand waving at me and an amen with Tony, please? Let me hear a Tony amen. Amen, that's good. God can work whatever way he likes, as we've said. There are no formulas. But it, the Scriptures show us that uh, we should be in faith to receive him. Chris, just share your little story and then I'll, I'll do some summing up and we'll move to worship and respond together. Um, yeah, so Steve just asked me to share a, just briefly about um, an experience that I had of praying for um, people to be filled with the Holy Spirit when we were over in Geneva a couple of years ago in Italy um, with a youth group over there. And um, anyone that knows teenagers will know that they are fairly reluctant to, you know, do anything. Um, especially get prayed for um, and especially sort of, you know, um, show any sort of anything to someone that they don't recognize. And Italians as well tend to be, um, especially Italians in churches, tend to have grown up with lots of rules and so on. So anyway, we prayed, we tried to, uh, we, we spoke to them, we talked to them about all we need to do is say, come Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will come. So we simplified it right down, tried to make it as easy as possible. And I thought, you know what, I can pray, come Holy Spirit for somebody. Um, and you might think, well, of course you can, but it, you know, I was quite nervous. Um, and I thought, I don't, need the, don't know these people anyway. So there was this lad, they were stood, in, stood against a pillar like this, looking all cool, probably 18, I guess. And I thought, I'm just going to go up to him and I'm going to pray, come Holy Spirit. So I walked up to him and I was about to put my hand on him. And just, just as I was about to touch him, he burst into tears. <laughs> and that was it. I said nothing. I'm not even sure if my hand had touched him at that point. But the Holy Spirit came on him in an obvious, powerful, physical, visible way. And the, um, and the way that that then shaped the way that I prayed for him and he was yeah, then praying for others yeah. afterwards, it was clear evidence that the Holy Spirit had done that without me really being involved yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's great. That thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Really grateful, Lord. Oh, I don't need that, do I? So, and again, the Lord loves simple faith and obedience, doesn't he? And all of us can walk in this, both in our own lives and with those around us as well. Just for a few moments, how do we grow in this? What do we do with this? How do we, how do we come in faith like Chris did 
in that story just to say, God, I'm, I'm ready to be used in this. I, I think firstly, as we've said, um, we should expect all those who are being born again, we should have a, a very real expectation that, that they get baptised in the Holy Spirit. If not at that point, then very near to that point. If you are a recent or a new believer and you're here amongst us this morning, this is really good news for you. Um, you're in just the right place. You line up with the scriptures. You get to follow the New Testament model. And uh, we'd love to pray with you this morning. I think secondly, is for, for me, this was helpful. Uh, I'd grown up with a view, a kind of gentle British evangelical view, if you like, that, well, we, we don't want any fuss. Uh, and uh, any, any falling around and nonsense. And so gradually, as we walk with God through life, we should expect a kind of, um, uh, a, just a growing general awareness of God's love and his presence and his power in our lives. That's a wonderful thing. I'm not, I'm not mocking that view at all. And certainly I'm, I'm not speaking about, um, to go on to a different sermon, sanctification here, the ongoing growth of holiness as we walk day by day with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in surrender to to him. However, with regard to baptism in the Spirit, it would seem there's no evidence from the Scriptures that you go through some gradual, gentle process, perhaps even over a number of years, or you get yourselves right to a certain level first. This, is, this baptism in the Spirit is not a down-the-track experience for more mature believers. In the Scriptures we've read, people get baptised in the Spirit very early on in all their fantastic immaturity, and they seem to know about it. In fact, it's so obvious uh, this baptism in the Spirit, it can't be a quiet, gradual thing. In Acts chapter 8 in Samaria, there's a man called um, Simon, who, who when he sees the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon the new Samaritan believers, he offers money to the apostles, saying, whatever it is you're doing, I want to be able to do that too. Uh, what he saw must have been so amazing, so wonderful, so liberating in people's lives. He must have seen the fruit immediately of, of healing, of emotional change, of forgiveness, of people who weren't brothers and sisters now becoming brothers and sisters. All kinds of things going on as the Holy Spirit fell on these new believers whose dysfunctional lives he had observed up until that point, that he was prepared to offer money for it. I, I think the argument that there's some gradual experience it needs to be blown out of the water by the evidence of the scriptures. The other idea that, uh, that again some have grown up uh, with is the idea of having to wait for a kind of second stage experience. Um, we've learned and we thank so much, we're so grateful to God for uh, believers from Pentecostal backgrounds that we learn from, still learn from now, love their hunger and their expectation for more of God. In the early days of the Pentecostal movement there was an idea that you would have to wait until you receive the Spirit. Wait until you speak in tongues. I remember getting taken to what they call tarrying meetings. And I wasn't alive in the early days of the Pentecostal movement, but it was earlier than now. Uh, tarrying meetings where you would wait uh, and just wait and wait and wait until you receive something. Now, those men and women were in very real faith for God to do something. And God is good and he does wonderful things as people wait for him. Um, but I believe that the scriptures teach us when we read the whole uh, context uh, of these stories that we don't have to wait any longer to receive the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost, where the disciples were told to wait for the Holy Spirit, is the exception, not the rule. In John 7, chapter 37, uh, before he went to the cross, Jesus stood up on the last and greatest day of the, of the Jewish feast and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and out of him will flow rivers of living water. John gives a little commentary on that passage in case you're not sure what Jesus is talking about in his gospel and he says, by this, Jesus was speaking about the spirit who'd not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. At that point, on that day, 
Jesus hadn't yet died. He hadn't yet been raised to, to life. He hadn't yet ascended into heaven. He hadn't yet given the Spirit. If you had a thirst in you listening to Jesus on that day, and you'd gone to him and said, Jesus, I want this living water that you're speaking about, Jesus would have said, wonderful, I'm so happy, but please wait. In the same way that he said to his disciples in, in Acts chapter 1, wait here until the promise of the Father. Jesus has now ascended. When Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, he tells the crowds in Jerusalem, this Jesus who you crucified has now ascended. He's now glorified. And the glorified Jesus has poured out his spirit on his church. The day of Pentecost had not yet come when Jesus spoke in John 7.37. The spirit wasn't yet manifested because Jesus hadn't been glorified. Now Jesus has been glorified. Now he's gone to the Father. The promised Holy Spirit has come. And so from that point on, the 3,000 don't have to wait. Peter doesn't say to them, oh, thank you for asking. What must I do to be saved? If you'd like to go to the upper room where we were, we do this all the time as Christians, don't we? Follow my experience. If you'd like to go to the upper room where we were, and just, uh, oh, you have to form a queue, there's quite a few of you, um, and if you just wait a few days obediently and pray quietly, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. No, he didn't say that. He said, you will receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off. And on that day, they received a dynamic indwelling outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we we don't have to wait any longer now that Jesus has been glorified. And finally, I, I thought that needed an amen actually, by the way. Well done. Finally, we don't need to prepare anymore. Um, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit is nothing to do with being good enough or ready enough. So many of us carry around the idea, I'm not worthy enough, Lord, to receive your spirit. I understand that thinking. But if you've come to Christ, it's a wrong idea. Now Jesus has been glorified, there's nothing to hinder you or I being filled with the Spirit. If we've repented, if we've believed in Jesus, this promise is for you. It's for us, it's for me, it's especially for you today. Will you receive that in faith today? We need to smash any wrong thinking, any lies we've believed, particularly where you've been prayed for many times and you feel it hasn't worked in some way. Have you been thinking, I've got to get good enough first? Hey, we've already been justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not doing anything to earn this gift. It's a gift. You cannot earn it. We just need to come to Jesus and drink. It's not about you being right already. It's not about Chris and his laying on of magic hands in any way. You've got to get to someone who's really holy, otherwise you won't receive. No, no, if you're in Christ and you're qualified to receive what he has promised to send from the Father, the Holy Spirit from on high. The devil, I think, tries to keep many of us from receiving by whispering these kind of lies. Who do you think you are? Who, who do you think you are to say you could receive the Holy Spirit? We utterly reject that this morning. It's not in keeping with the scriptures and who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Let's come to him and drink. Why don't you stand? I've talked plenty long enough. Guys, are you happy to come and help us? If you're thirsty, you qualify this morning. Just going to invite you to lift your hands high to the Lord. If you want more of the Holy Spirit, maybe some of you are saying, I've never, never experienced this filling with the Holy Spirit before. Joe, we've got this encounter meeting next Sunday night, next Sunday evening, 7.30. I can't preach this message and then say, I've given you some groundwork. Go away and pray and wait and come back next Sunday. I, I, I would be preaching against the scriptures that I've just outlined for you. So, oh boy, I want to receive next Sunday. But, oh boy, I want to receive something from the Lord now. And so, Lord, we come thirsty to you. We come thirsty. We thank you. It's the only qualification that we need to be in Christ. 
The only invitation we need is the one that comes from you that says, come to me and drink. And so we do so now. Lord, we pray for those who are brand new believers here. We pray for those who are recent converts to Christ. We pray for those of us who've been following you uh, for many, many years. Lord, we come to you now and we long for this fresh drink. We're so thirsty, Lord. We, We dare not even wait for next Sunday. Lord, we're so weak and empty. We're so tired of trying to live life in our own strength. God, thank you. Forgive us, Lord, where we've, even at times where we've received from you, but then we've gone back to living out of our own supply, our own reservoir. God, how foolish. How we've grieved you at times, Lord God. Oh, thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy. Thank you invite us to come again right now and to drink deep and to receive and to be overwhelmed and immersed in your beautiful, lovely, life-changing presence. So just come now, Lord, we pray, as we worship you and as we respond to Jesus. So thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus.